Hello and welcome into this week's edition of the Rookie Stripes podcast here on Racing News Now. I'm Garth Allen, and that is the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Tyler Guthrie. How's it going? I'm just glad I didn't actually say anything about Texas sucking this weekend because I totally would have been eating my words after the IndyCar race. Holy crap. I'm sure we can find something about you saying something bad about Texas. Oh, I said enough plenty, or I said plenty of bad stuff about Texas. I'm just glad I didn't say anything about if I would do something if Texas wasn't a good race because then I'd probably like be doing a podcast hungover for some stupid reason. This is true. Although I do have you on recording before we started saying something that you would do if a certain driver won this weekend. So yeah. <laughs> I am going to hold that over you. Oh, gosh. Um, I, I think I'll be okay, but <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, anyway, we had uh, quite the racing, quite the action-packed weekend for NASCAR, IndyCar, F1, everything. I mean, we had basically every series in action this weekend somewhere or another cup and Xfinity at Richmond trucks in IndyCar Texas Arca West was at Irwindale F1 was in Australia I'm sorry NASCAR was in Australia (laughs) as well Uh, demolition derby what a wild race that was I don't know that I've seen an F1 race quite that crazy in a while I I felt like I was watching an F1 race and a NASCAR race broke out. Like, what happened? So, well, it turns out the only way to make F1 exciting is to turn it into NASCAR. I mean, it worked. I know a lot of the European fans were mad about it, but most of the American fans were like, sweet, this is what we're used to. <laughs> right? Had me on the edge of my seat at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't think I've ever been that much on the edge of my seat at 3 o'clock in the morning. But I know, I, like turned on the first couple laps and was like, yep, this is a part where it gets boring and it went to bed. And I woke up and like checked Twitter. It looked like shit hit the fan pretty good at the race. And I'm like, okay. So I went and looked at the race results and saw the top three finish within half a second of each other. Okay. What happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, well, first off record breaking three red flags in this race. So that in itself should tell you that this race was was crazy and that was not a typical F1 race, especially mm-hmm. a recent F1 race. Uh, first red flag came very early and started things down that spiral. It got pretty mediocre in the middle of the race, became a fairly typical F1 race. But at the same time, it didn't get quite as boring as the typical F1 race in the middle of the race. There was still some decent battles through the field. There were passes made it wasn't one of those things where you were hard pressed just to find a pass being made in the field there were battles pretty much the entire race something to watch even if max verstappen was driving away with it for the most part then we got down to the end of the race and kevin magnuson decided to turn this into an ascar race (laughs) i which in one of the most bizarre crashes i've ever seen yeah I I'm still not really sure what happened there. The, the TV booth uh, speculated that the sun got in his eyes off of turn two, I believe it was. Yeah, turn two. Um, and he just, he ran very slightly wide, got into the wall and it messed something up in the suspension or something and basically blew the opposite tire. No, same, same tire hit the no, wall, okay. which is why I thought it was even more bizarre. Cause he, he hit the wall and the tire just went, flying even though it didn't have any 
space to fall off the car. I don't know. I thought it was really weird. It was probably one of the most bizarre crashes I've ever seen. Yeah. But because that threw debris all over the track, that caused a red flag with like three laps to go. Mm -hmm. And I think all the drivers at that point just assumed that was the end of the race. And there were multiple drivers that they caught going, wait, we still have to go back out there and race now? It legit became a NASCAR overtime. And I think that's my conspiracy theory is that's what the FIA was going for here because they knew after this red flag, it was going to be a two lap shootout. It was a literal green, white checker situation. They were going to go green to start lap 57. It was a 58 lap race. They were legit going to have a green, white checker. And it turned into a legit NASCAR overtime. It looked like we had gone back to Coda. They go down into turn one and wad half the field up. I've never seen this before in an F1 race. They don't even usually have crashes that big on lap one when everybody's going crazy down into turn one. But everybody knew on a standing start with two laps to go, there's more on the line than there is from a standing start on lap one. So everybody's trying to get everything they can like in an NASCAR overtime, and it ends the same exact way. Carlos Sainz spins Fernando Alonso from third. Both of the Alpine cars ended up wrecking each other. It was a mess. They red flag it again. They come down pit road for what should have been the white flag, and they sit there for a solid 15 minutes while the FIA tries to decide how to proceed with the final lap in this race. And it basically it came down to there were four options that could have been any combination of they will restart the race, they won't restart the race. And in either of those two situations, it could have either been they reverted the field back to what it was in the order from the standing start, or... They take the field as it is right there. The argument that was made for reverting the field back to what it was on the previous restart was they hadn't completed a sector. So there was no like basically how NASCAR uses timing and scoring or timing lines on the track to determine the order for each caution during the race until they get to the last lap. And then they use cameras and where you were at the exact moment of caution. But they were basically going with the NASCAR method here of if they got past the first sector line, they had some some way of knowing where everybody was, whereas apparently if they didn't get through the first sector, they don't have any timing and scoring data to show exactly where they were. Even though this is the most technologically advanced motorsport right area in the world I, I don't i don't get how you can have a major timing and scoring issue in 2023 and call yourself the pinnacle of motorsport but whatever and to sit there for 15 minutes and try to decide what they were going to do about it like it's not like they took a couple minutes and went okay this is what we're going to do and you're going to have to live with it no they sat there it was a legit 15 20 minutes before they finally decided what they were going to do was they were going to run that final lap behind the safety car and then have a rolling start to come to the checkered flag. But you couldn't overtake on this rolling start. So what was the point in the rolling start? 
you can't end the race under a safety car. Is there a rule about that that I don't know about with F1 that you can't end the race under safety car? No, Which, they've done it before. That sounds like a NASCAR rule to me. Can't yeah. end the race under caution. We've got to have overtime. I no, they've they've ended the race under safety car before. I don't. I don't. Under, I, I don't understand what the issue was here. I don't know why they couldn't have just paraded the cars out for a lap. And well, then what? Carlos Sainz got a penalty for a lap that didn't even count. Right. So they reverted the field back to what they were from the previous restart. The the standing start. To at lap 57 they reverted the field back to that so as long as your car could make that final lap behind the safety car you could keep whatever position you had so that vaulted alonzo back to third from like 11th now a lot or not alonzo signs spun alonzo coming out of turn one in that incident the fia decided that was avoidable contact Gave him a five-second time penalty. Fine, I get it. After watching the replay, I can get how you would look at that and say it was avoidable contact, although I think that's being too stingy in that moment. But I digress. I'm I'm more of a NASCAR fan than an F1 fan, so I'm more used to what NASCAR does than what F1 does. But they gave him this five-second time penalty, but they announced that they were going to do this before they went back out under safety car to run the final lap. So that gets it in all the guys behind his head. Oh, all we've got to do is bunch up as close as possible. We can to him and make sure we're within that five seconds and we gain an extra spot. So he dropped from fourth to 12th, even though he crossed the line in fourth. I just, you couldn't have waited until after the checkered flag to announce that you were going to have this penalty. I I understand why they gave him this penalty as much as I may not necessarily agree with it. I understand why they gave him the penalty, but you put him in such a bind by announcing that penalty to where everybody could take advantage of it. And he gets screwed. Well, here's a and kicker for, to me. They had enough time to figure out that they were going to assess a penalty to the guy before they even figured out how they're going to finish the race. Right. <laughs> Isn't that a little bit more important than the penalty? Like, you could just tack the penalty on at the end of the race. you got to finish the race first. Right. In a sense, I feel like it was just a kick in the nuts to Ferrari because they were already having a bad day as, as Leclerc well, had Leclerc didn't even had. make it into turn three at the beginning of the race. I mean, Exactly. So Leclerc's already out. And then you screw signs over to where he's not going to get points at the end. It almost, it almost feels like the FIA. We were, we were talking about this a week or two ago. How they the people seem to think they're in Mercedes' back pocket. It almost feels like they're not only in Mercedes' back pocket, but they're also in Red Bull's back pocket, as we'll talk about in a moment. But that they're actively against Ferrari. I know there's there's a lot of memes about. Ferrari's strategy always screwing them over, but in this case, it wasn't even Ferrari's strategy. It was legit the FIA screwing them over. Hell, there's barely even enough time to put a strategy in in this race, which brings up another issue I think is weird about F1. In IndyCar and NASCAR, as soon as the red flag comes out, you can't touch the car. Mm -hmm. In F1, you can throw a new front wing on, you can put new tires on, which mm -hmm. the first time they threw the red flag, everybody just threw the hard tires on and just assumed everybody's going to make it to the end of the race on those tires, which personally I think is kind of pathetic. I don't I don't think you can have 
a racing series with pit crews and pit stops and be like, yep, here's our one stop of the race kind of deal. Right. I just thought it was weird that you're allowed to even change tires under the red flag. I, I get it under caution, like, sure, whatever, but under red flag? No, I don't think you should be allowed to touch the cars. Well, their red flags are a little different than what we get in NASCAR and IndyCar also because, um, or actually, I think it might be similar to IndyCar, but it's definitely different from NASCAR where NASCAR, when they throw a red flag, they stop immediately. Wherever they're at on the track, they stop the cars and wait until everything is cleaned up. But with F1, they kept rolling them around the track and pulled them into pit road. Mm -hmm. Which, I th isn't that how IndyCar does it too? IndyCar does that too because they have to refire the engines okay, from yeah. the crew members because they can't do it by themselves in the car. So that's probably why F1 does it. But then at the same time, back to your point, why do they let them have basically a free pit stop? Which actually screwed George Russell over because George Russell had been leading the race. George Russell took the lead from Verstappen on like lap two or three or something. They had this caution. They didn't immediately red flag it. So he comes down to try and make a free pit stop under under safety car. And then after he makes his pit stop, they red flag it after mm -hmm. he's already made his pit stop and gone to the back. Yeah. So he gets majorly screwed over by this. And, and never blows really up later <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so it really wouldn't have mattered in the end anyway, because he was going to probably have that issue regardless. But um, yeah, majorly got screwed over from that. But circling back to the uh, conspiracy theories of the FIA being in Mercedes' back pocket, it almost felt like they were in Red Bull's back pocket in this race because there were pictures from the stands of the final standing start that went on lap 57 of Max Verstappen pulled with the front tires all the way past the front white line in the box for the standing start. And they penalized Alonzo for something similar a couple weeks ago where his tires were off to the side outside of the box. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand why they feel like I guess the technical explanation they gave was Alonzo didn't get a advantage by doing that, but he still was outside the rules, so they penalized him, which, sure, I mean, you have this little box painted on the grid. He was outside the box. Yeah. Okay. But so was Verstappen, and he was ahead he of actually, the box. That's like giving a right. clear competitive advantage, in my opinion. I, I don't understand how that wasn't penalized. And I legit think it gave him an advantage, too, because he was able to clear Hamilton into turn one, which... On every other start, he didn't get off the line very well at all. Exactly. So, I... I really believe that's the reason he cleared Hamilton into turn one was because he had that little bit extra room to start and was able to get that just clear enough and then be able to be completely clear of all the mayhem behind him. Yeah. And it was very obvious he was across the line. Everybody noticed it, but the FIA doesn't say a word about it. Yeah, that seems a little sketchy to me, but just kind of have the FIAs for you. I, another thing I thought was interesting from that race was a couple post-race comments from some of the drivers talking about how F1's become like more entertainment for the fans than about being a pure sport. It's like, well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of... Well, I, I guess F1 doesn't really see it as entertainment. They see it as the sport. That's the entertainment. Like, 
the way you finish the is how you're entertained. Entertainment, though, most of the time. Right. But I know here in the U.S., like, we see NASCAR, and it's like, it's a show. It's not, it's not business. It's entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I guess they just have it flip-flopped over there, and it's really frustrating, I think, to watch F1 and be an American sports fan. It's just, I, I hate it. And I don't watch the drive to survive thing, so I don't know. I still haven't watched this season, but I do need to watch this season of Drive to Survive. I haven't watched any of it. You haven't watched any of it? No, I haven't watched a single episode. Okay, you've actually missed out then, because it it actually is a very quality show that is worth watching. Mm. I haven't watched, like, IndyCar did something similar a couple years ago, and it was kind of a flop, but I didn't watch it. I don't watch well, they're, like, they're, the they're, life and the whatever of the drivers that NASCAR does every once in a while. Oh, that race to the championship thing they did last year in USA? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that, was, that kind of it stuff. It was okay. It started off good, but it got kind of boring by the end. IndyCar the first is, like in-season thing I've ever watched was the Colts uh, football thing that they did in-season, like the Hard Knocks thing. That's the first mm-hmm. in-season anything I've ever watched. IndyCar is doing one this year on the CW of all places. It's like the um, 100 days to yeah. 500 thing, which is going later than 100 days to the Indy 500. Yeah. It's like coming out 30 something days to the Indy 500, but whatever. Well, I don't know where they get the 100 days number, but they started filming for it like before the season even started. So it's not even. Like, the first stuff they filmed for it is much further than 100 days before the, the 500. So, I don't know yeah. where they get the 100 days number, other than it's just a nice round number to call the show. But from what I've heard, the people that have seen, like, pre-screenings of it have said it's actually pretty good. Yeah. I mean, IndyCar needs whatever media exposure it can get at this point. Right. Um, Which you're going to get if you just put some more ovals on the schedule. And yeah. have absolute bangers like Texas for some. I I don't know why Texas decided to be 2016 all over again, but I liked it, and I'm not complaining. I agree, and the thing is, I think it was weird because I felt like the whole weekend at Texas was actually fairly decent. The truck race wasn't bad either. Yeah, the it truck wasn't... race is pretty okay. It wasn't like awesome NASCAR right. racing at a mile and a half, but I mean, it was decent it was compared to what we yeah. had at Texas. Right. It was much better than what we've seen at Texas recently, which you couldn't have gotten much worse than what recent Texas has been with any series. But I was pleasantly surprised by what we saw from both trucks and IndyCar this weekend. Would I rate them as some of the best races all time? No, but they were very good and entertaining to watch, which very much surprised me from Texas. Well, I know the choices are limited, but I would say it IndyCar Texas this weekend is probably one of the best IndyCar oval races in the past seven or eight years. Uh, you got to put it up with uh, not 2015 uh, Sonoma, not Sonoma Auto Club. I don't, I don't think it's anywhere near that level, but I, it's fairly close to 2016 Texas. I would say um, the Texas of old definitely showed. Um, they had some pack racing. It got stretched out. It had like pretty much every kind of phase you would want in an IndyCar oval race. You had a close finish. Field got bunched up. I wish they would change the wave around rules for IndyCar a little bit more to make it a little bit more competitive. Because um, at one point, there are only two cars in the lead lap, which, ouchie. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, to be fair, 
Pato Award in the middle of the race just flew by everybody. I knew they talked about it a lot when he went past Roman Grosjean for flapping third place. It was like he was lapping a car that was running 20-something. They just flew by, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. And Insane pace from Pato Award. I know I picked him to win the race. He won last year. Or no, he didn't win last year. He won two years ago. But no, he was insanely fast. Newgarden was fast too, and it was just kind of which one of them was going to be there at the end, and they both were, and made a really good finish to the race. I, I, it was a very enjoyable race to watch. I thought it was very much so. Um, after staying up for F one, though, I actually I confess that I did not wake up in time to see the beginning of the race. I think I came in at like lap sixty seven, sixty something. I missed a good chunk of the beginning of the race, but. Once I once I got settled in and was watching, yeah, it was it was very good, very very enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I listened it. I listened to it on IndyCar Radio Network on my way home. But mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I think those guys on the radio did better than the guys in the booth did it, telling the race. So I I went back and watched the recording of it, and then I, I got nothing better to say about it. I think that'll probably be the best oval race of the year, unless. IMS decides to throw us a good little bone next month, but and I'm glad to see Texas come back. And next year, let's do that at night, please. You know, I would say the same thing about Richmond. Um, not to not to switch gears here so quickly from IndyCar, but um, I had a theory earlier today that. The reason that Richmond for NASCAR has not been great over the past few years is because it's a day race. I feel like all of the good races at Richmond were at night. Mm -hmm. Now, I know recently probably the reason that it hasn't been good there was because the Gen 6 car was terrible. But at specifically Richmond for some reason, it was good at every other short track except for Richmond. Yeah. Well, because Richmond races more like a mile and a half, and the Gen 6 car was awful on mile and a half. Yeah. It races more like a mile and a half than it does a short track, which is really weird because it's only three quarters of a mile, but it does. It, it doesn't really race like a short track. Um, so I, recent years, I think you can pin a lot of that on the Gen 6 car, but um, I I feel like the racing would probably be better if we went back to being a night race now that's not to say uh this weekend's race uh both cup and xfinity weren't good because they were fairly decent races like they're not races i'm gonna look we're gonna look back on in three four years and go that was an all-time great richmond race no but (laughs) they were they were fairly decent to watch and like i wasn't falling asleep at least during them like i have during other recent richmond races but um. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they weren't terrible. No, I, I mean, I thought the Xfinity race is probably a little bit more interesting to watch than the Cup race, just because the tire fall off is much more noticeable in how the cars handle. You see them start to fishtail around the track, and one of my favorite things to watch during the Gen 6 era of NASCAR was you come off a of turn four to just be sideways the whole way down the front straight. I always thought that was fun to watch. The new cup cars don't do that as much because they have so much rear diffuser downforce where if you start to slide, then you're just kind of going around. But 
they had a whole lot of tire fall off, which I think makes for better racing. You got some strategy going on. The first stage was really short compared to the final two stages, which I think helped spice that up a little bit more, actually, because the second stage, you started to get some green flag pit stops going on. And I, when races like that, this happened in IndyCar too. When races like that, where tire fall off is a big deal, you start to get long green flag runs and green flag pit stops. That puts a lot of different angles into the race that you can't, you can't manufacture that. And no matter how hard you try, you're not going to be able to manufacture what green flag pit cycles on tracks with high tire degradation make. Right. And, and that's why I really wish that NASCAR would do what they've done for road courses this year and just get rid of the stage break cautions. You can keep giving the points for stages. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Get rid of the cautions on every track, though, and just let the race play out naturally. Some races will be boring. But as we've talked about in the past, not every race can be a banger because the more good races you have, the more that raises the level of what a good race is and mm-hmm. till the point that it becomes unattainable and a good race all of a sudden becomes boring. I read a comment a couple of weeks ago, it, it kind of along the lines of what you said. It basically said you can't have game seven moments as if every game is a game seven moment. Right. You got to have some boring races to keep in the context what a good race is. And that's the problem with this playoff format. One of the problems is they're trying to manufacture a game seven moment every year at Phoenix. And it gets to the point where it's not exciting anymore because you know what's going to happen. You know exactly how it's going to play out. You just don't know which name is going to slot in where, but you know exactly what's going to happen. And it's gotten to the point where it's stale and it's boring. It's not a game seven anymore. It's just a regular game because you know what's going to happen. I feel like they'd almost be better off ditching the playoff system and going back to the chase, but... I don't know. I, I've read a couple comments recently from drivers saying that the playoffs really kind of promote the ty- the style of racing we've seen lately with Ross it Chastain does. being kind of the spearhead of it, where you win your race in the regular season and you don't really have to care for the rest of the season. And then it promotes hunting people out of your way. We've seen it in championship, not championship four, but like playoff races before where if somebody's in your way and you need the point, they're not going to be in your way anymore. And it's not going to be because you passed them. And I, I think it's really bad racing etiquette. Um, all the drivers have said that, but it kind of just goes to bite on the international stage where NASCAR is trying to promote, but at the same time, they're just hunting people out of the way to get points. And it's, it's, it's extremely frustrating to watch. I think. Well, every one of those uh, ringers that came in for Coda last week, Jensen Button, Kimi Räikkönen, and Jordan Taylor, every one of them talked about how they were surprised at how physical that race got and how everybody was just shoving everybody out of the way. Jordan Taylor even talked about at one point he just got tired of being shoved out of the way, and he started shoving everybody else. Like He shoved Denny Hamlin off track at one point for no reason <laughs> because he's like, everybody's done it to me, so I'm going to do it to somebody else. Right. And And – I know Jensen said that it was like having the whole entire F1 season in one race. (laughs) Which, okay, speaking of Coda, that brings up something else that I wanted to talk about today. 
with NASCAR inconsistency with their penalties. Okay. I assume by now you have seen what Daniel Suarez did after the Coda race. Yeah. Okay. To where he basically, he punted Ross Chastain out of the way, went after Alex Bowman, shoving him down pit road, almost into a NASCAR official. There's all kinds of other people on pit road that he is putting in harm's way by doing this. Yeah. And then he gets out. Bowman tells him that it wasn't him. So then he goes back and yells at Ross. It's a bad look. I like Daniel Suarez. Daniel Suarez is a good dude. But in that moment, he not only embarrassed himself, he embarrassed the sport. Yeah. And put bunch of people unnecessarily in danger. This is like one of my big rags on like Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick for a whole bunch of years. You can do whatever you want on the track, but after the race is over and everybody's going into the pits, do quit not, hitting don't, people. It's right, like the same thing. You go to a go-kart track and somebody comes flying into wherever you park the carts at the end of the race and bashes your skull in. It's like, why? There's no yeah. reason to do it. Everybody's done. If you want to talk about something go deck him in the head after the race just don't screw up everybody else's stuff rule number one is don't use your car as a weapon yeah and it doesn't matter the circumstance there is no excuse why that is acceptable now now you're matt kenseth at martinsville in like 2015 (laughs) then it's perfectly acceptable (laughs) um nascar issued daniel suarez a fifty thousand dollar penalty for that this week no suspension Nothing except a $50,000 penalty. Didn't they add some points to that? Like 25 points or something? Which, I mean, for NASCAR, 25 points is like, ooh, wow. But, you know. I don't think they did. I thought I just remember saying that. Somewhere. I'm not seeing anything about 25 points. Because I just Googled it to make sure because I couldn't remember what the number was. But I don't see anything yeah. about points. I just see the $50,000. And $50,000 fine doesn't cut it at all. No. Not at all. Especially, that should be a race suspension, in my opinion. Absolutely. At least a race suspension. Especially, and this is my biggest gripe with this, how does Josh Williams get suspended for a race for harmlessly parking his car on the front stretch, mm-hmm. not putting anyone in danger, not using it as a weapon, nothing. He didn't even flip off the officials. Like He didn't, he didn't do a whole willpower when he got out of the car to flip <laughs> off the officials, which I thought he was about to do. And he just gave him a peace sign. Yeah, hell, he even brought him pizza this week. Yeah. So how does Josh Williams get suspended for that? For harmlessly parking his car on the front stretch. Sure, he's obstructing the race. Whatever. He wasn't in anybody's way. It was already under caution. But then Daniel Suarez, who is legitimately putting people in harm's way and could have seriously injured, if not killed someone, just Mm -hmm. gets slapped on the wrist with a $50,000 fine. How is that acceptable? NASCAR needs to be held accountable for that. Plain and simple, they need to be held accountable for not holding Daniel Suarez accountable and to the same standard that they set with Josh Williams literally the week before for something less that he did. Well, I I think NASCAR's already set the precedent for what Daniel Suarez did and the penalties there. He had it in the Gen 6 era a couple different times where what was like Brad Keselowski came flying in to hit somebody at Richmond one year and ended up hitting three other cars and Tony Stewart put it in reverse and bashed his hood in. Like nobody got suspended for that. They've already put that precedent in. They're not going to suspend you for that. And I think they should have from day one, as soon as somebody hits another car on pit road after the race, that's a suspension. 
I don't care what the circumstances are. You're driving a car that you were just driving at 200 mile an hour. Now you're doing 10 mile an hour and you're going to run into somebody. There's no excuse for that, especially with all the people on the pit road. Nobody's wearing their safety stuff anymore because the race is over. Like, if you want to settle it, get out and go settle it somewhere. I would, honestly, I would, because I know they suspended people for getting in fights after the race. I would rather watch a driver get out of the car, take his helmet off, and go deck somebody than hit another car in pit lane after the race. No, that that is exactly what should happen. If you are that mad, get out of your car and go punch the guy in the face. Yeah. Go punch that f***er in the face. Do not use your car as a weapon. I know you're pissed off in that moment and you're not thinking straight, but that is never okay. Yeah. Never okay. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you exactly why Josh Williams got suspended and Daniel Suarez didn't. Josh Williams got suspended because he embarrassed NASCAR. He showed everyone how stupid some of NASCAR's rules are and that they're not consistent with enforcing them. Daniel Suarez did not get suspended because he did exactly what NASCAR wants him to do. They will never say it publicly. But they want that kind of drama. I guarantee mm-hmm. you, next year when we go back to Coda, that's going to be used in highlight reels. Aren't Get they already it. using it in highlight reels? They might be. I haven't I seen it. They, but I they thought I be. saw it in a commercial summer for this weekend, which is stupid. I surprised. You can't, you can't promote that. No, but the thing is they will because that's exactly what they want. They will never publicly admit that, but that's exactly what they want because that's what draws ratings. They don't care. As long as he doesn't kill somebody doing that, they don't care. Yeah. They're going to give him this penalty for the optics to say publicly that's what they don't want because they know people will jump down their throat if they publicly say that's what they want. But yeah. it behind well, closed it, doors, they're going to tell him, okay, we're going to give you this penalty just to show people we don't want this. But we're, we're, we're okay with this. We're really not mad at you. It's fine. Just go on. Just go to Richmond. You know, I mean, can you imagine, like, you're Daniel Suarez after you finally calm down from the race. You look at a replay of you hitting, like, three cars coming into the pits after the race. You're like, shoot, that's going to be not good like penalty suspension all that and then nascar slaps you fifty thousand dollars you're like ooh, okay except that that he didn't think about that because there were reporters asking him about that at richmond oh that's right he did say that yeah and he said he didn't expect to get penalized for that yeah which i think honestly the fact that you have drivers expecting not to get penalized for something like that tells more than anything else should yeah, I, mm-hmm. you should get out of the car, look at look and see it. You hit three other cars coming into the pits, and you're like, "Crap, I'm not going to be here next week." Mm-hmm. Uh, the the fact that that doesn't even cross your mind is not good. NASCAR will will never realize that that's not good, at least not anytime soon. Honestly, but that's not good that your drivers think that way. Here's what I think. I think doing stuff like that, hitting cars after the race is over, should automatically disqualify you from the playoffs. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That now, I don't think a race suspension under the playoff format is going to do anything. But 
at the same time, if you get injured and miss a race, you have to qual- you have to get the waiver like Chase Elliott's trying to do to even qualify for the playoffs again. I think you should get a suspension, and if you request a waiver because you missed a you race, you don't get it. Or okay. you have to do like some amount of community service or something like that. Not community service because they're NASCAR <laughs> drivers, but you you get right. what I mean, like some sort yeah, it's of not like I got arrested, like rebranding type of thing for the series, like. That should be completely unacceptable. Right. Can you imagine what would happen if, like, say Max Verstappen got second place because somebody punted him out of the way in the last lap of the race? He comes flying into pit road after the race and runs over the first place guy. That's not going to fly. See, and, and, and that's the thing, though. That wouldn't happen in F1 or an Indy car because those are open wheel cars. Those cars break way too easily, and it's much easier to get injured in those cars than it is in NASCAR. And those drivers know that their series isn't going to tolerate it either. Right, right. But that's a big reason why we see a lot of this in NASCAR, too, because they're full body, full fendered, and they have such safety advancements that there's very little chance you're going to get hurt in one of these cars as long as you're still strapped in and everything, which you're not going to be on the cool-down lap. You're already going to be taking your belts off and everything. But under normal situations, you're pretty safe inside that car unless something really weird happens. Unless you crash in a completely normal manner in the Gen 6 car, but in the new next-gen car, it gives you a concussion and makes you have to retire. Right. But these drivers have become so accustomed to these cars being as safe as they are and to not having to worry about being injured that they think they can just do whatever they want in these cars and there won't be any repercussions. Somebody's going to have to get seriously hurt before anybody decides to change how they're racing. Somebody already did get seriously hurt. Kurt Busch got a concussion and had to retire. Well, that was just a qualifying spin. I mean, that wasn't because somebody ran into him after the race. Well, yeah. I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, I know the the cars haven't been as crash safe as they have in the past, but it's going to take somebody getting hurt in a wreck with another car because they just wanted to get some payback before anybody's going to do anything about it. That'll be when NASCAR finally puts in a rule against it. Yeah. Because circling back to that point that I had earlier, they don't care unless somebody gets killed or seriously injured from, from these kind of antics. They yeah. just don't. And that's when they're going to have to care because otherwise it's not going to look good on them if they don't put in some sort of rule against it at that point. But until they have to put in a rule against that, they're not going to. Mm -mm. No, I completely agree with you on that. It's, it's pathetic to see the racing etiquette of some of these guys. And I don't understand why people aren't more upset about it because when Kyle Busch did it a couple years ago, Everybody hated him. Everybody boos him at driver introductions now. Everybody just hated it. But now everybody's doing it, and all the fans are just celebrating it. I don't. I don't understand what changed. Is it? it it's not. You can't convince me that everybody hates Kyle Busch so much when he takes somebody out. It's not okay. But when somebody else takes somebody out, it's okay. I think that's exactly what it is, though. I think the fan base hates Kyle Busch that much that they'll hate it no matter what he does. But anybody else, unless it's somebody like Ty Gibbs or somebody that is as hated as Kyle Busch, they're not going to care. 
They are, yeah. They're not going to care in mass like they would with Kyle Busch, Ty Gibbs, somebody like that that is almost universally hated at this point. Yeah. I do think it's kind of funny that all the drivers are starting to gang on Ross Chastain, if whom mm-hmm. is not the direct reason. Like, I know Christopher Bell, he took out William Byron at the end mm-hmm. of the race. There's no way around that. Christopher Bell wasn't even going to make the racing line in that corner, no matter where <laughs> Ross Chastain was. Chastain. Then they're interviewing after the race, and he's like, yeah, well, human wrecking ball was inside yeah. me. What am I supposed to do? And it's like, well, <laughs> you were, like, a whole lane away from him, buddy. Right. <laughs> And that's the, that's the thing, though. They know because of the the reputation that Chastain has at this point, if he's anywhere close to them, they can use him as an excuse and people will just believe it because yeah. most of the time people aren't going to go back and look to see, oh, did Chastain really hit him? They're just going to hear that and go, oh, yeah, Chastain. <laughs> Sounds Chastain. <laughs> yeah. Which is sad on Chastain's part. Like, I think, didn't he say something today about or not today, but recently about how other drivers have been viewing him. He's kind of like starting to feel a little bit bad about it. Maybe. Did you, did you read something similar? I thought, I forget what I read, but it was something like he was li- listening to everybody say all this negative stuff about him. He was like, well, crap, maybe I'm not doing too great kind of deal. I feel like I remember something similar to that. Yeah. But I don't remember exactly what he said, but yeah, I, th- I think he's, uh, finally getting to that point where uh, the the whole I don't care facade is is starting to wear thin because I don't, yeah. I think that's what it always was was it was a facade like he he does care uh, how he races people and what what they think of him unless but, it's Denny Hamlin <laughs> yeah which but, that's fair I would do the same thing to Denny Hamlin <laughs> but I think um, for whatever reason he thought he had to put up that facade of I don't care, I'm going to race you however I want to race it's you. Like an underdog thing? Yeah, which, to be fair, he was an underdog for a long time before yeah, he finally got in something good. You don't have to take out like all the good cup drivers for everybody to be like, oh, wow, maybe you're not an underdog. Like Just win a couple races, beat him on the track, don't run yeah. on the wall, you know? Well, his thing when he finally got a good ride in Xfinity, when he finally got the 42 car with Ganassi before the whole DC Solar thing happened, um, was because he had been in mid-pack to back-of-the-pack cars up until that point, he was driving 110% all the time, whereas everybody else was running 80 to 90 to 95%. And that was just kind of his thing for a long time, was because he had been in these mid-pack cars, he really wanted to prove what he could do now that he was in these good rides, so he just never let up. He was always going 110%, which... Well, now I think find... everybody knows he's fast. It's just now everybody knows he's going to take you out. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, he's going to I... need to get put in his place by somebody other than Denny Hamlin before... Because Denny clearly can't do it. Denny's tried a couple of times and never really fully gotten the job done. It seems like every time... I wish Denny... they black flagged... Chastain, Hamlin, and Elliott at Gateway last year. That, yeah. that was painful to watch. That's like mm-hmm. you get on some NASCAR heat lobby and you get three kids that are just screaming cuss words at each other and then try to take each other out. And you're just trying to run your own race and you get caught up in it. And it's just 
that's what the F1 race felt like, a NASCAR heat lobby. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you mean it just felt like an F1 lobby? <laughs> yes, That's all of the pretty above. Much what F- it was. F1 lobby, NASCAR heat lobby. It just felt like racing with a bunch of kids online. Shipment 24-7 on Call of Duty, but it's an F1 race instead right. of Call of Duty. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, it has been that, quite the, the F1 race was a heck of a race. I mean... The middle, we didn't even talk about Arca yet. The middle 40 laps of the F1 race was horrible, but other than that... I wouldn't know, say horrible. It was... <laughs> overall... There was some mid-pack racing, but that's kind of how F1's always been, and unless you mm-hmm. really care about 13th place, it's like, eh. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that, but at the same time, I'd say the middle of this race was more entertaining than the middle of the last 10 F1 races. Well, it's not like there's a lot of competition there. No, but still, it it is an improvement. Maybe I do want to give a shout-out to uh, Carson Hosevar for winning the Truck Series race. I know Nick Sanchez dominated should the crap out of that race and definitely should have won it, but Carson Hosevar finally gets his first Truck Series win. Um, a little bit of controversy. Uh, some people think that he wrecked Nick Sanchez. I would argue that Nick Sanchez was like wildly out of control before Hosevar's bumper got there, yeah. but props to him. He's been close a bunch of times to winning a race and finally got it. Well, and, and Zane made the comment. They, they grabbed Zane after he'd already changed back into street clothes and looked like he was ready to leave the track. Fox grabbed him on the post race for an interview and asked him his thoughts on that. And he watched the replay and he was like, yeah, the, the two truck was was real sketchy. Like anytime the whole time he was below me, especially on the straightaways, like he was super sketchy, couldn't hold it in a straight line. So I don't know what I don't know if the truck just wasn't handling well or if Nick just wasn't very good at dealing with turbulent air when there was another truck around because most of the time to be fair he was kind of out by himself the whole race right so he never really got to experience that until right at the end so and honestly he's not gotten much experience with that to begin with because he's not had many big tracks and trucks yet and he didn't have many big tracks in arca to deal with so he's not had much experience with that yet so he may just not know how to deal with that yet. Then you plop him in the best truck in the field, and all of a sudden he's racing for the win in turbulent air and doesn't know how to control it. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him at all. If you're running mid-pack, you've got air coming all over your truck and on the nose, on the rear. But when you're up front with somebody by your side, you're getting all that side force off the right rear, and the nose is getting a lot of downforce. It's super easy to spin that out, especially on a track of double dog leg like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame Nick at all because I feel like that's a very tough situation to be in with very little experience as he has at that level. Um, I feel like Zane might've been a little harsh about it, but at the same time, I get it. You get, you got taken out racing for the win by a guy that couldn't hold his truck in a straight line. So you can't be kind of mad about it. I get it. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I, I disagree with the people that, um, that say that host of basically took Sanchez out. I wasn't super happy in the moment to see host win because I really wanted to see Sanchez get his first win. Nick's a great kid. And I really wanted to see him 
finally get that win. I say finally, and it's not, we're not even that far into the season, but, <laughs> um, I, but what is Carson supposed to do in that situation? They just took the white flag and you're racing for the win. He's in like third. You're not going to lift at no. that point. And it was just very unfortunate that the moment he got to Sanchez's back bumper, he was already a little bit sideways and it just finished him off into the 38 and they collected the 19 who was an innocent bystander. Yeah. And I thought I was going to get another good pick win again this week. And then that happened like, Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> yeah, You were close. Yeah. I won one at least this. I think I won two or three this year. So I'm, I'm fine the rest of the year. I don't care if I win another I don't one. Think you're up to three yet. You're at two at most. I uh, yeah, I probably, have. I know I have two, but I don't think either one of us had gotten a winner until last week. Now, I wasn't expecting to get any all year. So I'll take two. <laughs> no, wait, it was two weeks ago because you picked Eckes to win at Atlanta, didn't you? Yeah. And then I picked like Byron or something though. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, they, we, we're 50 minutes into this. And we haven't even talked about the Arca race, which actually was a decent race. Arca West at Irwindale race number two of the season. In the beginning, it really looked like Trevor Huddleston was just going to run away with it. He takes off from the pole and is just gone in the first almost half of the race. And then I think he ended up maybe, I don't know. Doc is back there stepping <laughs> on the webcam cord because he doesn't, he can't sit still. Um, for you. Right. Our, our show mascot over here um, who was mad at me a minute ago. And now I think he's, he seems to have uh, gotten over that, but um, yeah, Huddleston ran away in the first half of the race. And then I, I think used his tires up too much. Cause they didn't get any pit stops in this race. So by about halfway after he had run away, as you see me disappear behind doc's tail, um, after he had run away, I think he had used his stuff up too much and the rest of the field came back to him. And all of a sudden we had a race in the last half of the race and it was typical good Irwindale racing. It was really fantastic to watch super exciting. And I don't know that, that you could ask for much more out of an Arca West race. I didn't watch it. NBC put up the wrong highlight. The coolest part about, the the end of the race was you got a really good battle between Sean Hingarani and Landon Lewis, who Landon Lewis has been fast in that 17 car, both races this year. And he won a race in that car last year before he ended up finishing out the second half of the season in the, in the BMR 16 car. But Sean Hingarani in his what now third race in that 15 car for Venturini running for both the East and the West championships this year, goes out and kind of dominates the last portion of the race, ended up leading the last 17 laps. Landon Lewis took the lead for 12 laps in the middle, but other than those 12 laps, Sean Hingarani led the rest of the race from lap 78 on. Um, but that was not without competition from Landon Lewis either. Landon yeah. Lewis was right there giving him good pressure all the race, uh, but Sean Hingarani picking up Venturini Motorsports first win in the West series, his first career ARCA win, big night all around there. We've seen a lot of first time ARCA winners this year. We, Hingarani in that race, um, Tyler Reif at Phoenix, 
who else have we seen first time winner? Mm-hmm. William, William Sawalich won at Pensacola. Greg Von Alst won at Daytona. Every ARCA race this year has been a first time winner, which is actually kind of incredible. Oh, and Hengarangi also looked pretty well, pretty good at the East race last week. Mm-hmm. Fighting yeah. for top four most of the race. The the race that you watched highlights for? The race that I did watch the highlights of because <laughs> NBC decided to put those headlights up instead of those headlights? Highlights. <laughs> I it is 3 a.m., Garth. <laughs> I didn't know NBC put headlights up on YouTube. Yeah, it's cars now. I mean... It's not Arca, it's cars. Car has headlights, yeah. I'm trying, man. <laughs> but yes, you are. We'll we'll give you credit here, Tyler. Tyler's struggling, but he's trying. I've been so watching since... Arca for the first time in my life this year, so <laughs> the fact that I even remembered it existed is a pretty good start. <laughs> Fair enough. So since Tyler is struggling, we'll uh, start moving toward the end of the race. We'll make our predictions for this week before we wrap up tonight. Uh Cup and trucks are at Bristol Dirt, and I believe out of all of our series that we talk about on here. Those are the only two, I think. I think. Let me double check that there's no ARCA of any sort, but I don't think there is. Talladega is the 27. Week week. Yep. Uh, Talladega is the 22nd. Dover is the 28th. Kern County is also the 22nd, so nothing until the 22nd. And IndyCar, got to wait two weeks for Long Beach, but that's usually a good race, so we'll want to talk about then. Yeah. But since we've got these two races, uh, Tyler, who you got for uh, the truckers? I hate that term. I hate the calling trucker. them the truckers. <laughs> I hate that Michael Waltrip has kind of made that normal. <laughs> I hate that so much, and I really don't know why I hate it so much. I just hate it. <laughs> but who you got for the truckers, as I internally cringe, <laughs> getting dirty this weekend? Who you got? I'm going to go with Parker Kligerman. Um, I know he's doing part-time in the trucks this year, running Bristol Dirt this year. Um, but I think he likes the dirt races. I don't know if he has a dirt background or not, but he did pretty well last year in trucks on dirt. And I think it suits a little bit his driving style. He, he seems to do pretty well when he's got a loose car and a truck that has very little grip on dirt might suit him. Fair enough. I think that's a solid pick. Like you said, he did do well in this race last year. I think. I don't remember exactly where he finished, but I, I do feel five. like I remember. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember him doing well in this race. Uh, so I think that is a solid pick. I, on the other hand, am going to go for someone who I do know has a dirt background, has not won a truck race yet, but um, I feel like this driver will uh, finally get the momentum for this season kicked off with her new team. Haley Deegan picks up her first win this weekend on the dirt at Bristol. All right, moving on to the cup race. Tyler, who you got? Gonna go with Tyler Reddick. I know he almost won last year. Uh, he and Chase Briscoe got together at the end of the race, but he looked really strong last year in that eight for RCR. And I think he will finally bring it home for twenty three eleven this year at Bristol Dirt. Well, he's finally got his stride going at twenty three eleven. Finally picked up that first win for them at at Coda a couple weeks ago. So, um, 
Yeah, I think he's he's got the momentum now, and I think uh, that is a solid pick. Is he running a monster scheme this weekend again? I have no idea. Because if he's not, maybe we'll actually get a Tyler Reddick race win diecast. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, But yeah, I I think that's a solid pick. I was actually going to pick him until you did. Uh, But I'm going to go with someone that has a dirt background that hasn't done particularly well in this race before now, but I think he will finally uh, be able to... uh, run up front and win this race finally. And that is one Mr. Christopher Bell. I think he finally uh, gets that first win of 2023 and uh, kicks off some momentum this season. Yeah. I think Bristol dirt will be interesting. And people have what they want to say about the dirt race at Bristol, but I do think it gives a lot of drivers more opportunity to succeed. And then we saw Chase Briscoe do well there last year after being like, I don't want to say awful the rest of the year at that Stuart Haas team, but people like him that have a dirt background that can kind of get over not having the greatest car, but just being able to wheel it around the track. And I think it it's a pretty good equalizer. I would prefer to not have a dirt race at Bristol, maybe have it at an actual dirt track, but if that's where we're going to get, I'll take it. You know, I did hear the rumor that it's obviously not going to happen now, but I did hear the rumor when it was starting to circulate that North Wilkesboro was going to come back, that they were going to turn North Wilkesboro into a dirt track and they were going to make that the dirt race. Leave it alone. Well, and, and I agree. I'm glad that they decided to leave it as is. But if they were going to make it a permanent dirt track, I don't think that would have been the worst option. It would have been better than just putting dirt on Bristol and then taking it up so they can do the night race in the fall, than putting dirt back on. It would have been a better option. It wouldn't have been the best option, but it would have been a better option. But yes, I am glad that they have kept North Wilkesboro as is, and we're going to get hopefully a very good all-star race this year. But I think that's going to do it for us tonight. So um, hopefully y'all have a uh, nice Easter weekend and enjoy the racing from Bristol Dirt. And we'll be back with you next week. Same time, same place. Uh, should be Wednesday, 6 p.m. for the premiere of this on RNN. I'm going to try going forward to move that up to Tuesday if I can get the editing done in time. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm going to try to move that If I can do it consistently, I'm going to move it up to Tuesday, 6 p.m. going forward. And then the audio version, just whenever I can get it uh, edited, usually it'll be at latest by Tuesday uh, morning. So uh, you got that to look forward to next week to hear our thoughts on uh, what will be the first dirt race of the season for the trucks and the only dirt race for the Cup Series this season. So I think that's going to do it. So at that, I'm Garth. That's Tyler. And this is the Rookie Stripes podcast on Racing News Now.